0: In this episode of the St. Philip Institute Podcast, we're going to talk about the theological virtue of hope and Pope Benedict XVI's encyclical, *Spes Salvi. In particular, I want to share with you how hope is more than just wishing for a good future, and how important the virtue of hope is to evangelization. Please enjoy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast. Today we're going to be continuing our series on the theological virtues. So in the previous episode, I shared about the theological virtue of faith. We talked about Lumen Fidei, which was an encyclical written by Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. Um, Pope Francis says it's the work of four hands. Um, So we talked a little bit about faith uh, from that encyclicals perspective. We also talked about the Catechism and uh, a book by Joseph Pieper. Today, we're going to be talking about the next theological virtue, which is hope. And really, I just... I couldn't move on from *Space Salvi, which is Pope Benedict's Benedict's encyclical on hope. I found it to be so excellent that I just am going to wind up spending the entire time um, today talking about the way Pope Benedict teaches on the virtue of hope. Um, So I think one of the things that's important at the very beginning is to just kind of try and say what hope is. I think when you sort of walk through the theological virtues, we say faith, hope, and love, or faith, hope, and charity— Uh, Sometimes it's really not that difficult to come up with some examples for faith. We can kind of see faith operating in some ways. And as I talked about in the last episode, even in just human contexts that don't really have anything to do with theology, we see people trusting one another, believing one another. That idea of faith is somewhat tangible. Um, The idea of love also can be pretty easily seen parents loving their children, spouses loving one another. Uh, you know, we, we have examples of love, but hope is a little more abstract to kind of pin down and define. So I want to start by, by giving you sort of the basic definition that Pope Benedict works with in this encyclical, and then from there, kind of go through some of the main points in this encyclical and really encourage you to uh to read it on your own because it is just such a fantastic um, it's a fantastic letter. So the way Benedict talks about hope in the context of this encyclical is to to situate it with respect to faith. So faith and hope, he says, are very closely linked in the theological tradition. Even in some parts of the New Testament, you could make an argument that one word faith or hope that they could they could be translated differently. That, that, in other words, sometimes The translation is interchangeable, and we may use faith in one sense or hope in another sense. So the distinction he makes is that faith is the foundation of the Christian life. Right, which is what we receive in baptism. It's infused into us. But, but what we talked about last time with faith in terms of a theological definition is it is trust in God, right? It is our confidence in, in God because of who he is and what he has done. So it involves remembering salvation history, celebrating the redemption that he, is, that he has won for us, and rooting ourselves in that is, is, is what we do when we build up our, our faith. Um, and that's partially a gift, and there's human work involved in it too. Hope, Pope Benedict wants to say, is based on that theological virtue of faith. Because we have faith, we have access also to hope. And so faith, he wants to sort of say, is is kind of about what has been done. God created, God redeemed, you know, he, he has saved us, right? And that still involves some working out. But hope is the virtue that allows us in the here and now to live with our mind and our heart set on eternity. Um, And what you'll see throughout this discussion is Christian hope alone can make difficulties and suffering bearable because it's founded in the faith of Christ. Hope allows us to, it reshapes the way we live our present moment in light of both the, the, the faith that we're rooted in, the things that came before us, salvation history, and our eternal destiny. So that's a basic way to think about hope. It is the virtue that allows us to suffer um, well, allows us to deal with our present because we have the, the gift of faith that it's built on, And it orients us toward our our future for God. That's a very theological definition. It's not like super precise and exact. But I think that if you listen to the rest of this episode, uh, please stay with me. There's plenty left. Uh, Also, though, if you read Space Alva, you'll see that this is a really big deal. So I want to start now as we kind of work through the encyclical and what Benedict teaches us with a passage from um, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So this is from uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Actually, it's verse 11 that we start in. "'Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by those called the circumcision, which is done in the flesh by human hands, were at that time, without Christ, alienated from the community of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise.'" So, in the introduction to St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he's talking about the divisions between Christians and Gentiles, uh, or Jews and Gentiles, Christians and, and, you know, those who don't have the heritage of Israel. And he's saying that these two communities used to be separated, right? There was a wall of separation, and he talks about Christ breaking down that wall. And as he sets this up, as he's going to go on to his letter, he has this this really important line, says, you were at that time without Christ— alienated from the community of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have become near by the blood of Christ. So Pope Benedict kind of situates his whole encyclical with referring to the idea that Paul says prior to the coming of Christ, many were in the world without hope and without god and he says to be without god is precisely to be without hope because if we do not have god we really can't have hope one of the things that's really interesting to me about this encyclical and about the way benedict shapes his teaching here is that he wants to say hope is not just like this theological idea and it's one of the theological virtues and we have to talk about it faith hope and love but, we, but it doesn't really have any content to it, or it doesn't really matter. Hope is also not just merely wishing for the future to be enjoyable. You know, like the way when you're a kid, you might hope that when you're rich, you know, that when you're, when you're older, you might be rich or famous or something like that. You just kind of blindly hope, you're not doing anything about it, and, and, and really you, you kind of know it's probably not going to happen. Uh, when I was a kid, I hoped I was going to be tall, and boy, let me tell you, that did not happen. Um, Pope Benedict wants to say hope actually has a lot to contribute to the here and now, and he says it's an explicitly Christian idea, and a uniquely Christian idea. He says, historically, when, when Christianity sort of came onto the scene, right, uh, after Christ's death, after his resurrection, the church and the faith spread wildly. And this is one of the great mysteries of, of the faith, is, is, namely, how could it grow so quickly, especially when it was under extreme persecution? And he says this, basically, that in the world prior to Christianity, pagan concepts of time and indeed of the cosmos saw everything as kind of predetermined and cyclical. So basically things just went around in a cycle of life and death and uh, sort of things were predetermined, right? There, there was a, a, a very sort of sense, a, a very um, basic understanding that the way reality worked was things were fixed, these are the patterns that are established, and you're in whatever role you're put into. Now, of course, there's some small exceptions, but that was kind of the dominant view, a cycle, And when things are just cyclical and predetermined, well, that basically makes life meaningless. It makes suffering particularly bitter and senseless. And what Christianity offered to people was a hope that that's not how it has to be. Because Christ came and conquered death, conquered sin, gave us salvation, right? And holds open to us the promise of eternity, That means that even when we have bad things going on in our life, like terrible persecution from the Roman Empire, we can bear it, we can endure it, and maybe even endure it pleasantly, right? We can really endure any kind of trial or suffering when we know that that's not the end of the story. And so Pope Benedict says, you know, in a sense, when Christianity came onto the scene— it offered so many people in the world kind of an escape hatch from this cyclical view of time, and it provided this radically different way of understanding the world that not only you know um, made—that that, that didn't necessarily make everybody's life instantly perfect, they weren't immediately happy, but it gave them a firm foundation in faith to have hope in a better eternity— and that was a transformational idea. And it explains in part the growth of the church. Now, what happens is eventually, and, and Pope Benedict sort of puts it this way, is that basically people got used to it. So in the early period of the church, it spread even under extreme persecution because it was such an exciting and challenging and new idea, and just nobody could could think of the world the same way once they heard the Kerygma, right? This message of, of, of the proclamation of the gospel gave them a new hope. And I did say a new hope, and I know you're thinking Star Wars, but I don't have time to do that today. So it gave people a new way of seeing the world. But eventually, you know, that new vision kind of wore out, and it becomes taken for granted. And this is like a sweeping summary of the, the history of the world. But what, what Benedict kind of notes is that Christian hope was this brand new thing It radically changed the world, and Christianity spread over the European continent, and then people kind of got used to it, Middle Ages creep in, and sort of it's still there, but it's not really, you know, this this life-changing force in the way that it was in the beginning of the church. And then he says something interesting happens. With the Enlightenment, new technological developments, um, new scientific understandings of the world begin to really pick up steam. So new ideas begin to shape the world, um, and it gives people this this idea that, well, okay, we used to have hope in a theological context, in a theological sense, but, you know, they're still suffering, um, and that hasn't ushered in a new paradise for everybody. You want to have that hope, go ahead and have it. Hope became an individualized sort of thing in that theological way. And the word hope or the idea of hope kind of took on a different secular meaning. And it became a a hope more or less in technology, in science, in secular knowledge. Because it was new, the same way Christian hope was new at the beginning of the church, all of the scientific discoveries and, and the progress, the real progress that was being made kind of fed people's imagination anew, like, oh, this is where we can put our hope. In effort and work and, and rationality and freedom, um, you know, as political freedoms were starting to change, that, man, that's where, that's where people should really kind of be invested. So it began to reshape our expectation or our view of hope as being centered around technology, grounded in this world. And then it also, as I said, relegated the theological idea of hope in eternity to this private thing that kind of gets shoveled off over to the side, like, just stay out of the public sphere. We don't have any room for that kind of hope anymore. Now, what Benedict notes, and again, (laughs) talk about sweeping view of history, he says that after the Enlightenment, as things begin, as the bright lights of the Enlightenment kind of begin to fade out, and in a particular way in the 20th century, where we witnessed so much violence, so much death, so much suffering, this idea of a secularized hope, hope in progress, hope in technology, even hope in, you know, different forms of of freedom, really begins to go sour. Uh, People begin to despair again because what they thought could leave them free and give them hope and happiness just unleashed new instruments of death there's There's a discussion, for instance, uh, about uh, Immanuel Kant saying, you know, early in his career that we need to get rid of the concept of God because we can be freed in these other ways. And then Pope Benedict says, and then a few years later, Kant sort of realizes, actually maybe if we take Christianity away, we might not lead that might not lead to freedom and and, and uh, the positive developments that we want. It might lead instead to the Antichrist. Na- so, namely, if we don't have a Christian view of hope kind of operating um, and we put the hope in ourselves, maybe that's a bad idea. Um, and that's because, you know, when you, when you take away the Christian grounding for the idea of rationality and what it's ordered toward and the idea of freedom and what it's ordered toward— you basically unleash anarchy, um, and this is, you know, I mean, this is what happened uh, in, in all these various forms of revolution. There were some some hopeful ideas. French Revolution had some ideas that sounded pretty good, and it just turned out to be really ugly, and it didn't necessarily get better after that, so we get into the 20th century, and what Pope Benedict is trying to say is he's writing this encyclical is that we need to re-champion the Christian understanding of hope in an era that needs something to hope in because we spent too much time hoping in science, progress, technology, those sorts of things, even politics, he talks about Marxism. Really, really stunning line in here. He, he basically notes that the Marxist view of freedom, political freedom, economic freedom, wasn't, the problem with that wasn't that uh, it was asking too much, but rather, it was too narrow of a view of what freedom should be, because freedom should be from sin and from death and not merely from these political structures. It's really, really great uh, encyclical. Um, again, can't recommend it enough. So, so Pope Benedict basically situates hope as something that once changed the world. People got used to it. People misplaced their hope in technology, science, progress, that sort of thing. And now we need it again. And so, as Christians, it's our job to go out and tell people about the hope that we have. So, hope is, again, founded on our faith in Jesus Christ. It's distinct from our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ is our belief in Him and our trust in Him, right? In what He did, what He wrought for us in uh, His life, death, and resurrection, and what He offers us. Hope is not just about the future, but it's more about right now. He says, hope should not be merely informative— so learning ideas about hope is like, okay. So at best, <laughs> listening to this podcast could be okay for you. <laughs> I hate to tell you that, but that's, uh, that's Pope Benedict speaking. What really needs to be the thing that we focus on when we talk about hope is not just information, but Transformation. Hope, he says, should be transformative and performative. It should change the way that we exist, and we should be able to see that in the way that we live. And, you know, following the line of thought here of of transforming and changing the way we live, it should give others a witness to the fact that there's something different about the way we live our lives and serve as a form of evangelization. And there's a little bit more that I want to say here. It's it's that the the clarity with which Benedict teaches on this topic, when you want to know how you can survive all of the difficulties and frustrations of your life, an authentic Christian hope is what gives you that power. It was what gives you that capacity, and it is a gift that has to be given to you, but it also has to be nurtured. As you nurture your faith, as you develop a stronger faith in Christ, you will be able to have more hope in the face of the difficulties and sufferings that you endure. He says this, which I think is a great, very succinct summary. Only when the future is certain as a positive reality, because of our faith in Christ, because of, you know, ordering our life living a life of sacramental grace uh, and, and maintaining that state of grace, only when the future is certain as a positive reality does it become possible to live the present as well. And I would really encourage you, you know, if, if you're ever in a discussion with somebody, and I don't know who has these kinds of discussions, but if you have, you know, or, or the person that has these killer conversations with your coworkers and someone's, uh, you know, talking about hope, like, oh, Christians just hope, like, they're just like dreaming about something in the future, No, 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 it's it's not just about what we hope might happen someday in the future. Hope grounds us to live right now. And we see this really, really clearly in the lives of the saints. And Benedict used, I love this phrase, uses the phrase, he calls the saints witnesses to hope. A saint is a witness to hope because they show us in their transformative and performative way of living their life, that there is something different grounding them, there is something different allowing them to live joyfully, even sometimes in spite of extreme suffering. So he talks about uh, uh, Blessed Josephine Baquita I think she might be a saint at this point. Um, she was she was blessed when he wrote the encyclical. Who was you know sold into slavery and was whipped and beaten severely for decades of her life, and eventually was uh, was sold to someone who. Allowed her to, you know, convert to Christianity. She became a nun, uh, and she had borne tremendous suffering. But for so many years in her life, the suffering seemed as though it was inescapable, as though it was going to happen again, and that there was just nothing, like nothing could change it, nothing could make it bearable. But when she heard about Christ, and, and Pope Benedict puts it very poignantly, someone who had been beaten. On her behalf who had been scourged in place of her it it radically transformed her not just that you know she was open to worshiping this God and you know she wanted to be baptized and all but it did more than that it made her it propelled her to be an apostolic witness to be an evangelical tool to share the gospel of that of that Christ who suffered for her so she would not have to suffer anymore and you could think of others here too i thought for for sure of maximilian colby st maximilian colby who when it was in the the concentration camp at auschwitz and there was a, a man who had been selected to be to be murdered and you know maximilian colby said i'll i'll die in his place and the soldiers you know wound up slowly starving him to death and every day when they came in to feed the to feed him or not to feed him to check on him to, to feed him when they came to check on him he would greet them uh, with with you know psalms and and prayers um, and he would smile at them he was joyful as he was slowly being starved to death to even have the capacity to say I'll die in place of someone else takes an awful lot of hope but then to slowly fade away, and still be joyfully greeting the people killing you, takes a supernatural gift. And that's what hope is. John Paul II, I mean, George Weigel's biography, volume one, you know, Witness to Hope, is a great, another great example. He saw, he witnessed so much suffering, so much devastation, so much, you know, damage to the dignity of the human person, and yet did not lose his spirit of hope. He maintained it, he fortified it, and then what happened? He lived his life as a priest, as a bishop, as a cardinal, always an enthusiastic proponent of the gospel, an enthusiastic evangelical disciple, right? And that's what all of us as Christians are called to, is to to precisely to utilize that hope that, that we have been given and treat it as a summons to share what we have received so that others can have it too. Now... Um, one of the, the the interesting sections of this encyclical uh, that, I re- that I really enjoyed also is this notion of uh, Pope Benedict says one of the reasons why secular, you know, or, or, or not re- people who aren't as religious kind of like a little skittish about hope is because it tends to assume that, okay, yeah, hope means that we want our future to be good. Um, we want good things to happen and not bad things. And what's like the, the foundational thing that most people think is a bad thing that they'd like to avoid? At the very root, it's death, right? People don't want to die. People don't want to see their loved ones die. They like them to be alive. But they also have a hard time imagining, okay, I don't want them to die But I don't want them to just live forever like on earth. I don't want them to be 115. They can barely walk. Maybe they can't see and they can't hardly taste anything. You know, what's the point of that? But I don't want them to die either. So he kind of talks about this way in which today secular contemporaries don't want people to die generally, right? Or at least they don't want themselves to die. But they also, they don't want to live forever because they have no, no sense of like what a Christian means by eternal life. So if we say to, you know, someone who's suffering or whatever, that like we hold out the gift of eternal life, like, well, if eternal life is just eternal, is just to keep suffering the way I am now, um, you know, no thanks, I'm not really interested in that. Or to think about it another way, we want to offer you the gift of eternal life. Like, well, but life mostly sucks. You got to go to work. You have to pay your bills. You have to pay your taxes. You don't get to sleep hardly. And then once in a while, maybe you have a great party and, and you know, some people come over and it's, and it's a good day but that that's this extreme exception and pope benedict is trying to say is, is trying to, to, to share with us that christ came for us to have life and live it to the full right to give us eternal life was not to give us eternal doldrums and of just you know daily uh misgivings and and, and frustrations and anxieties so he says that one of the reasons why when we try and share the vision of hope with people they might not be so you know, inclined to listen to it is because they don't have an idea of what an eternal happiness could even look like because they don't know what any happiness really even looks like. And I thought that was such a profound point. Um, and he says that eternal life for most people, they think of it as a succession of days, a, a sort of uh, mindless continuation of what their normal day, normal life looks like. And for most people, you know, that's not very fun. Maybe there's a few people in the world just day to day, day in, day out, they're just having a great time, but most people live in the real world, and, and that's not their experience. Benedict, of course, says, yeah, that's not that's not what Christian hope of eternal life looks like at all. The Christian vision of eternal life is nothing like an ordinary daily transitory experience of some boring stuff, some annoying things, some things that are like just bad, and then occasionally a nice moment here or there. So he describes it this way, and I love this. He says, eternal life should be understood as a supreme moment of satisfaction in which totality embraces us and we embrace totality. I'll say that again eternal life should be understood as a supreme moment of satisfaction in which totality embraces us and we embrace totality. And I think probably most people listening can find in their memory one of these kinds of moments, one of these kinds of experiences that they had, where there was just this supreme satisfaction, and it's a moment, right? It's not something that really can endure. Supreme satisfaction for us is, is very difficult for that to endure. Uh, it, it, that's why we call it a moment, right? But Pope Benedict wants to say eternity is just that extended, right? Eternal life is supreme satisfaction that just Doers. So think of for instance, you know, the first moment that you saw your spouse or or when you proposed to your to your wife or, you know, the moment you first held your child, or, you know, I don't know, the moment your team won the World Series or won the Super Bowl or something like that, and you have this it's just just this exhilaration that lasts just momentarily, or maybe it maybe it hangs around, you have a foggy sort of, you know, recollection of a couple of days where everything was just really great. Pope Benedict says we should think about those moments as what, what we're trying to capture by the idea of eternal life, and, and I think this is really helpful because even just the idea of what happiness is has been lost for a lot of people. We don't have an understanding of what authentic happiness is, so to say, oh, the Christian life can, can give you, you know, true happiness, like, well, what, what is that? Happiness is, you know, that's not a real thing, But in fact, it is, and Pope Benedict tries to encourage us in in this encyclical to sort of be proponents of a gospel, of an evangelical sort of character that shares with people the possibility of this hope. Now, kind of toward the end of the encyclical, um, Pope Benedict goes into basically three different ways um, where we can—he calls them settings for learning and practicing hope. Um, I want to call them schools of hope So there's three different schools of hope Um, One is prayer One is action So notice to be hopeful does not mean merely to just be like sitting around Kind of just praying and like hoping everything turns out okay But it involves action also Prayer is one school of hope Action is one school of hope And then judgment But not us judging people Okay, the final judgment, which may sound to you very counterintuitive, almost laughably absurd. Pope Benedict says the final judgment is a school of hope for us. And I want to actually start with that one. How does that make any sense at all that the fact that we will be judged at the end of our life could be considered a source of hope? Well, he actually gets at this by talking about the problem of evil. So he says, you know, it's very common in contemporary society to reject the idea of God and thus of hope because, you know, there is evil in the world, there is injustice, there is suffering. Those things exist so God can exist. And when you do that, if you remove God from the question, from from your, you know, from the world, you say, oh, there's no God. Pope Benedict wants to say, by default, you are going to have to live a life without hope. You can't have a real hope if you don't believe in God. If you don't believe God exists, you don't have any grounding for your hope. You can try. You can base your your hope in, you know, your team's winning percentage. Uh, you can base your, your, your hope in the stock market. Um, you know, the next season of a television show, that you, that just, like, grounds everything for you. I mean, you know, you can try these things, but ultimately it's not going to be deeply satisfying. You can't have hope if you don't have God. And so he wants to say, okay, because in fact, not only can you not have hope without God, if you think the problem is there's evil and there's suffering and there's death, so I'm not gonna believe in God, you're even farther away from from, from happiness than you might imagine, or it, it makes even less sense. And here's here's why he says it this way. The final judgment is a source of hope for us because it means that at the end, there will be justice for those evils, for those crimes, for that suffering. God will ultimately be the arbiter of justice, and it is not necessarily going to happen in in a human timing in the way that we maybe want it to, but to say, oh, look at all this evil, look at all this suffering, I'm not going to believe in God, and I'll put my hope somewhere else, Benedict says, that's just not going to work. You can try that, and you're going to get nowhere. To really have hope— we have to actually hold on to the idea of, of a final judgment because that is where God's justice will finally be meted out. Um, and it's, it's a source of hope, not just for people who are really consumed with, oh, there's so much evil in the world, and I just wish that somehow it would all work out, right? And, and, it, and on the one hand, Benedict is saying, yeah, all the evil in the world is, is at some point going to be dealt with by the justice of, of, an, of an almighty God. On the other hand, the final judgment is a source of hope for us because it means we still have a chance to be forgiven even for the very many real sins that we have committed. So it's both like if you're looking out of the world and thinking, oh, I wish all these people who are causing all this suffering would at some point have to pay for it. And Pope Benedict says, yes, justice will be done by God. We don't have to worry about how we can negotiate every human situation, you know, in a human way or a secular fashion, get the justice served. You certainly should, we're proper, but we just can't fix everything that way. That's part of it. The other part is we can be forgiven at that final judgment and that should be a sign of hope. So the final judgment is a school of hope. Uh, action and suffering, kind of going backwards order from the way Benedict outlines it, action and suffering are schools of hope. So, I love this definition. Uh, I gave you an, a definition of hope earlier, but here's another one, um, a, a, another definition of hope. This is paragraph 35. All serious and upright human conduct, all serious and upright human conduct is hope in action. Remember, hope is not just about the future. It transforms our life now, gives us a performative character that shows us, that shows others that we live differently because we have hope that is within us. All serious and upright human conduct is hope in action. So Pope Benedict wants to say, anytime anyone is doing anything good and really truly doing something good, not just so that they can get noticed, right? But anything good that's being done should be for us a school of hope. Us doing good things should increase the hope that, was, that is in us. And this is particularly true, not just of things that people see and they know, but even of suffering. He has some very, very powerful lines here um, in, when he talks about suffering in this, in this final section of the encyclical. And he calls suffering sort of the measure of the humanity of society. So how much a given society can suffer meaningfully, suffer well, and not just try and get away from the suffering. So if a society can suffer well, it is a mark of the humanity of that society. When a society is just trying to eliminate suffering and get away from it at all costs, that is a sure sign that there's no hope there and that that society is inhumane. Let me read to you just a, a brief, briefly from paragraph 37 of uh, Space Alvi. He says, We can try to limit suffering, to fight against it, but we cannot eliminate it. It is when we attempt to avoid suffering by withdrawing from anything that might involve hurt, when we try to spare ourselves the effort and pain of pursuing truth, love, and goodness, that we drift into a life of emptiness In which there may be almost no pain, but the dark sensation of meaningless and abandonment is all the greater. It is not by sidestepping or fleeing from suffering that we are healed, but rather by our capacity for accepting it, maturing through it, and finding meaning through union with Christ, who suffered with infinite love. that is such an awesome, such an awesome quote. Again, if you're, if you know, you know you're listening and you want to go back and look at that later, it's paragraph 37 of Space Salvi. Um, so yeah, this notion of suffering as a source of hope is really, really important because again, it points out, it, you know, points out for us all the ways in which there's problems in the world, yes, but it is... In those moments, that we can actually root ourselves deeper in hope because we know precisely that that suffering is not the end of things, which again kind of connects with that, that notion of the final judgment. Um, one, one other uh, line here from, on the same theme from suffering, paragraph 37, he says, Christ descended into hell and is therefore close to those who are cast down, transforming their darkness into light. Suffering and torment is still terrible. And well nigh unbearable, yet the star of hope has risen. The anchor of the heart reaches to the very throne of God. A final school of hope or setting for learning and practicing hope is prayer. And he says that it is only in legitimate or or meaningful prayer that we can really find um, a, a, a source of hope. And that and that means that we're not just praying for the stuff we want right? Not just praying for the new car or, or the, the new house or to win the lottery, but to really root yourself in prayer and trying to find God's will for you. And that when you do that, it draws you out of your own narrow view of happiness into the vision of God's will for your life. So this is from paragraph 33. He says, to pray is not to step outside of history and withdraw to our own private corner of happiness. So what's he doing here? He's countering the very contemporary view that hope is an individual, private thing that, that happens where, it, that, that basically to, to reside in hope is to kind of just play nice and hope things work out okay. To to imagine that um, there's no problems, I'll just stick to myself over here in this little area and everything's fine. To shut ourselves off from the world. And Pope Benedict says that's, that's not it. When, so he continues here, when we pray properly we undergo a process of inner purification which opens us up to God and thus to our fellow human beings as well. And I love this line, in prayer we must learn what we can truly ask of God, what is worthy of God. And so praying in that way helps us to see hope in a radically different fashion, namely in a deeply Christian fashion. So, There's a lot more, believe it or not, there is a lot more in this encyclical, which is actually not that long. If you print it out, like I did, I printed the PDF, it's 31, 33 pages, something like that. Not terribly long, but it is terribly rich. So um, just to kind of close here, one of the things that I hope sticks with you really, really strongly is that the idea of hope is not merely just kind of dreaming and fantasizing about how great your life can turn out. Uh, it's not just about the future and how things may turn out. It's actually about the faith that we have in Christ, the redemption he has won for us, that gives us the hope to endure now in light of where our eternal destiny is. And so it is It is not removed It is not removing yourself from the world. It is not wishful thinking. It's actually deeply grounding ourselves in the mystery of Christ and the mystery of his passion, death, and resurrection, what that means for us personally and what it means for the world, for the the greater community. Hope is a virtue that can change everybody, that can be a transforming power in society, And it's not supposed to be something that you just personally hold on to. So if you do feel like you have this great hope that's within you, like St. Peter says, then give a reason for it to others, share it with them, and encourage them in doing the same. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, Stick with us um, on this podcast. We're going to do the theological virtue of charity or love in our next episode. Thanks.